0: was so obsessed with me and and had stalking like tendencies this person talked so much about himself in a really conceited way he took me to a secluded place and what happened in his truck was not consensual when it was happening I definitely felt like I froze and just wanted it to be over i definitely didn't know that these were considered red flags but there were moments where i felt uncomfortable but it can become a bad thing when it is about power and control and isolation a unique sense of guilt and shame and feeling like it's your fault
1: i'm bill mitchell and this is when dating hurts a podcast dedicated to my daughter kristen and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and actual survivors themselves. Gabby was in an abusive relationship when she was going into her sophomore year in college. Without a lot of introduction, I'd like to welcome Gabby to the When Dating Hurts podcast series.
0: Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me today.
1: Yes, this is great. I've been trying to catch up with you, I've known you. It's got to be seven or eight years or so. Does that sound maybe close? Might be ten years. I don't know.
0: Yeah, towards the end of my college career. Yeah, it's, you, your family has such a special place in my heart, and I, I never thought, you know, years ago, I'd be here speaking with you today. So it's very uh, special. Uh,
1: I think it's terrific. I got to meet you and, and your parents and, and it's, uh, you know, you were awarded the Kristen Mitchell scholarship that year, which you so, so much deserved for all the things that you, you were doing up until that time. And since that time, I probably owe you a couple more scholarships at this point, right? We're getting in in arrears. So Gabby, if you could please describe the first time you had a relationship with someone and you felt that it was abusive.
0: Yeah, so my first ever relationship was actually an abusive one. It was the summer going into my sophomore year of college, and I had been using dating apps, which is really the way that my generation is dating nowadays, through dating apps. Sure. And I had matched with a guy that we'll call Mike, and we had been talking for a little bit, and I decided to meet up with him at a park near my house which I don't necessarily recommend. And well, well, when so I met let up... Let me slow you down. Yeah. You don't re-
1: recommend mm-hmm. meeting at a park. Yeah. Well, that would seem like a great idea. I mean, there it seems like there would be more dangerous places than a park. but You're out in the open with people around, right?
0: I actually felt like the park was more isolated, to be honest with you. And there weren't that many people around. Uh, So I would recommend a more public place where there are people around. A cup of coffee
1: approach, kind of.
0: Yeah, that's what I recommend. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead.
0: It's okay. Yeah. So I remember on this date that I didn't really like him. I felt like this person talked so much about himself in Uh, a really conceited way. uh, He didn't ask me a lot of questions, which I felt like was really unattractive. And it was really a turnoff to Uh, me. And I really didn't see myself meeting up with him again, but I felt like he really was persistent and persuaded me and kind of pressured me and convinced me to go out on another date with him, which really began our relationship
1: knowing what you know now, knowing what I know now, somebody who does that, you'd say, "Ah, I don't know, you know, this, I don't know where this is going, but at least it didn't feel right in the beginning. That's kind of at least strike one, right? (laughs) With that. Okay. That's date number one and he won't stop talking about himself and didn't make a difference after a while, whether you were there or not, I guess, because he's just doing a monologue, but there's a second time, right? So how would you describe the relationship at its beginning, meaning, can you tell me about when it was nice or tell me before it became abusive or like what, what's uh, chapter two?
0: Yeah, so I know one of the markers of an abusive relationship is often a fairy tale romance. I didn't really feel like this was the case for my relationship with Mike. I will mention that the beginning of our relationship, it was nice it was the first ever relationship I had been in. And it was the first guy to really show an interest in and a Mm -hmm. desire to date me. So I really jumped at that. And um, one thing that attracted me to him was how he responded when I told him that I was a survivor of sexual violence. I liked the way he responded because he had mentioned that an ex-girlfriend of him was also a survivor. So I felt like he got it and he understood. And that was one thing that attracted me to him.
1: Okay. I mean, that's that's an amazing thing to have in common. So Gabby, let me say you said to him that you were a survivor of sexual violence. Can you tell us maybe briefly, but what that was all about? That wasn't someone you were dating because this is the first guy you're dating. So what was that?
0: So during my time in college, dating apps became really popular And I downloaded Tinder and I had matched up with a few people and had a good time until I didn't have a good time anymore. It was the spring break of my freshman year of college and not the typical spring break you think of. It wasn't, you know, in Florida on the beach, it was right after my grandmother had passed away. my. My family and I went to our beach house in. North Carolina just to get away for a few days and kind of escape and I decided to to go on Tinder there and I matched with a boy who was a local in North Carolina and we decided to go for a walk on the beach and it started to rain and he asked if I wanted to go for a drive. He took me to a secluded place and what happened in his truck was not consensual And I was a virgin at the time, and I was very confused and unsure about what had happened to me. And this is an interesting story, though, because when I returned to school at St. Joe's after spring break, Mm -hmm. I just coincidentally got coffee with a girl who was a member of the Rape Education Prevention Program at St. Joe's.
1: Yes, right. Sure, I know them.
0: And we were casually talking about dating. She asked me if I was a virgin. And I said, well, you know, I just had this really weird experience. I don't know what to make of it. This person was there to listen to me and support me and helped me define what had happened to me. And immediately, I actually wanted to get involved with education and prevention right off of the bat especially about dating apps and, and sexual violence. So this was actually just a few months before my relationship with Mike began. So I do believe I was in a vulnerable state okay. entering into this relationship.
1: Let me just ask you, when this sexual assault happened to you, do you think that you went into perhaps a state of shock or something like that? In other words, things were happening and you're like, almost like you're watching something happening. Definitely. and in other, in other words, it's not adding up. You're not recognizing it is what I'm saying.
0: Yes. I would say that in the moment when it was happening, I definitely felt like I froze and just wanted it to be over. You know, Bill, I I went to all-girls Catholic high school yes. before college, and yes. I felt like I had no introduction to healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, sexual violence, and was not, was just not educated on what any of this meant and what it looked like.
1: Yeah. So it's breaking loose and your mind is trying to process what's going on. Nothing's adding up. And after a horrifying piece of time, it ends. And I guess you're out of the truck and then you're on your own walking Mm -hmm. around in a daze, I would imagine. Would that be Mm -hmm. close?
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just grateful that I met up with the girl from the rape education prevention program. That was really a turning point for me where I plugged into the education and prevention. And I really felt like I found my vocation and felt like that was where God was calling me was to use my experience to be able to help others.
1: Wow. That is You know, some of those things when when you match up with somebody like that, when you run into somebody from that organization like REPP, the rep group there, those things are just meant to be. And it's horrible what happened to you, but it's amazing that you met the right person just about the right time. And then all of a sudden you kind of go from, again, being kind of the victim survivor to someone who's now taking this on as your thing. Getting back to the Mike relationship, what were the earliest indications that this might be technically an abusive relationship? I mean, like his behavior, things you might call red flags, warning signs. What are some of the tip-offs that that this could go the wrong way?
0: So, when in the moment of the relationship, I definitely didn't know that these were considered red flags, but there were moments where I felt uncomfortable felt like something was off and I felt annoyed. And there's a couple of examples I'd like to share with you. Please do. One example is that Mike and I spent way too much time together and spending a lot of time together is not always a bad thing, right? It's a good thing, but it can become a bad thing when it is about power and control and isolation. I felt like this was an early sign of isolation from my friends and family. It was very interesting and telling to me that my parents did not like Mike, and neither oh. did my friends.
1: Oh, and okay.
0: it was it was a mutual dislike. He didn't like them either, which is an easy sign of isolation. Sure, it is because you have to
1: keep him apart, and therefore you're with him, and yes, yeah, you're on your was, own island it, with him. Mm-hmm. You're stuck.
0: Yeah, my parents. You know, one thing is they felt like he had zero personality, but it was more than having zero personality. It was how he treated me. And my mom would describe it as an overall lack of respect, complete lack of respect. And they did use the terms later, manipulative and controlling.
1: Okay. Mm.
0: And I'd like to speak a little bit about physical abuse and sexual abuse. Yes. You know, before this relationship, when I thought about physical abuse in domestic violence situations, I would think about kicking, punching, hitting, and I wouldn't think of smaller forms of physical abuse mm. that could escalate. Okay. So there were a couple of things that Mike would do that made me uncomfortable, that I found annoying and odd. And these two examples were pinching and biting which when I say that out loud, it sounds kind of silly and like a really small thing.
1: Well, it sounds like something an elementary school would do to another elementary school kid, like some, I don't know, some boy doing it to some boy or some girl doing it to some girl. It doesn't sound like two people dating, that's for sure.
0: Yes, it it definitely is a sign of immaturity. And what I think is problematic about pinching and biting is, well, maybe in some cases it seems playful, I think in a lot of cases, it's about power and control. It's the idea of them wanting to watch you squirm. This pinching and biting, again, as it sounds silly for me to say out loud, it would leave bruises, Sure. which I think think is very telling. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to picture this and I'm having difficulty, but if somebody, let's go to the biting. I mean, what are you doing? What is happening? And then you get bitten.
0: Well, I would say that the biting would show up in in situations of intimacy in private areas, which is so uncomfortable. And it was very, I made that very clear that it was, I didn't like it.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so.
0: I have, yeah, one more example, you know, about about sexual abuse that I think is important to share. Mm -hmm. Prior to this relationship, when I would think about sexual abuse in domestic violence situations, I would think of rape or coercion or threats of force or violence. But I think a really important form of sexual abuse in these relationships um, is power and control in regards to contraception. And one thing that Mike would do um, is kind of took advantage of the fact that I was new to sex and i was very naive and he was very opposed to using condoms and used this as a way to exert power and control over me i really believe
1: so it's i mean is it like some kind of a bargaining thing meaning like i'll use a condom if you do this or something i mean how's that used
0: so i would say that mike would say things like condoms are so expensive it feels so much better without using a condom, so let's not use a condom. And I was naive and new to, new to this, and I said, okay.
1: When this pinching and biting was taking place, did you say, I got to be honest with you, this is not working for me or something to that effect?
0: I would tell Mike when the pinching and biting was, was bothering me. I would say, this hurts. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And looking back, I don't think it necessarily stopped. I think it was something that still continued and was just an annoyance that I had to deal with and put up with.
1: To get a copy of the When Dating Hurts book, go to Amazon. You can get it in paperback or ebook. This memoir details the events leading up to our daughter's tragedy, but also tells you what you can do to prevent something similar from happening in your home. Dating violence is quite prevalent. It is an equal opportunity issue in today's world. So it can occur in any neighborhood, anywhere. Learn all you can about dating violence. A good place to start is the When Dating Hurts book. It's a small investment that can make a very big difference. If you want to learn more or reach us, head to whendatinghurts.com. Thank you. The question that's always asked by people who don't know better I'll ask the question for them because I do know better, but the question would be, this is taking place. You are at that time, a young person, you have so much ahead of you, so many people out there. And so why didn't you walk away from this relationship? Why didn't you just say, you know, um, this isn't working for me with this Mike guy and, and I can do better than Mike. So um, see you later. You know, I'm blocking you, whatever you have to do why didn't you walk away?
0: So I think one really important and overlooked reason why people stay in abusive relationships is because the abusers won't let you leave. And what I mean by this is they get really scared when they feel you pulling away. Sure. And they often, they're supposed
1: to be in control and you're not allowed to be. And if you say, I'm getting out of here, that's like, that's, uh, they, they have their own version of an anxiety attack, I'm sure. Right.
0: Yes. When they feel that they're losing that control and power over you, they latch on harder. Okay. So I would really say, I tried to leave this relationship many times. And one of the hardest parts of this relationship was feeling like I couldn't break up with him, meaning that he would not take no for an answer. And I felt like I really could not escape
1: so while the bothersome behavior to put it lightly was happening the pinching and biting and maybe some of the other things that this Mike was doing did you speak with your parents or did you talk with your friends about it did you did you reach out to them or did you just sort of go it alone
0: So given my personality I'm someone who is very open very honest and I rely a lot on my social support and My friends did know what was going on, probably more than my parents did. And I consider myself so lucky today and so thankful that I didn't lose any friends over this because I feel like it was very traumatic and jarring for some of them as well. I mean, Mike if Mike couldn't get a hold of me, sometimes he would reach out to my friend Claire if he could not get a hold of me, especially... The many times we tried to break up, and God bless Claire. I've, she, I've known her since elementary school. She's still my close friend to this day. Oh, good. We got That's through great. this together. Yeah.
1: Good. Wow. What a friend.
0: Yes. And I'll add, you know, about my parents, I am an only child. I'm my parents' only daughter. So I am very, very close with them. I tell them everything. They did know a little bit about this situation. Okay. Um, And they really just wanted to see me. In a, healthy, in a healthy relationship, treated the way I should be treated. And I'd also just like to add, I think that there is a special sense of stigma and blame, feeling like it was my fault for meeting someone on a dating app. I, there's something about dating apps, although they are more popular and accepted now, I was embarrassed that I met this person on an app. And I really felt like if I wasn't using a dating app, I, I wouldn't have been in that situation. I felt like that at times.
1: So in a way, you felt like this is happening because of something you did that maybe you shouldn't have done. And yeah. therefore, therefore the, in other words, you deserve it. And would that be a way of putting it?
0: Yes. I would say with a lot of times when facing sexual violence or domestic violence perpetrated by someone you met online or on a dating app, there is a special unique sense of guilt and shame and feeling wow. like it's your fault for for being on the app in the first place.
1: Wow, okay that's interesting. Do you think others feel that way?
0: I do I do you know I mentioned I've always been open about my my stories with sexual violence and domestic violence. For a very long time, I did not say it was perpetrated by someone on an app because I felt embarrassed. But as I started to tell people, I learned how many of my friends were being affected by this as well and feeling similarly. So
1: let's say for a minute that anybody you talk with about the apps felt like you got them to the point where like, well, okay, I'm going to swear off of those. So I guess so. what's left then is the old... uh, meet somebody in a grocery store or library or walking across a campus or whatever it is, right? You meet them out in the world. You don't meet them through your phone and in an app on your phone or somewhere on your computer. Is that what you're kind of saying?
0: Yeah. You know, I would say that dating apps are the way that my generation is dating and they're not going away anytime soon. I think Mm -hmm. if you think in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, more people now than ever are using online dating. And I want to be really clear that I'm not anti-dating apps at all. I'm in a very healthy relationship right now with someone I met online. I think that it's very important to talk about dating apps in sexual violence and domestic violence, education and prevention efforts. I think it's interesting to see how in bystander trainings or even One love workshops, dating apps are often not mentioned. And I think because they're not going away, we really have to adapt to this new way of dating and the risk factors that can come with it.
1: Do you think that they're not mentioned because they just haven't gotten around to it? Or do you think they're not mentioned because they don't want to promote them? Why is that a gap?
0: That's such a good question, Bill. I don't think it's necessarily that people don't want to promote dating apps. I have learned in my research that sexual violence on dating apps is a, is a silent issue because of the stigma of silence. It's, it's actually very under-researched and under-reported. It's under-researched, meaning we don't know exactly how many people are being affected by this, but we can infer from the statistics we do know. It's underreported for, for a lot of reasons, especially because the dating apps themselves are not very good at handling reports and they're failing survivors with that.
1: Well, I'm glad you spoke about all those things. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's really, that's filling in some gaps that I know we really haven't talked about on this podcast series really at all. So let me, if I could, move you to, could you describe the kinds of emotional abuse that you felt like you you endured? You've talked about some of the physical were there any other mind games or manipulations that if you could tell us about them, others could hear it and maybe it would tip them off that that they know of somebody, might be themselves who are having similar things happen and they should kind of apply the brakes?
0: I would say as far as emotional abuse, overwhelmingly, I would feel a sense that I was the one who was crazy or that I was exaggerating or being dramatic about how I felt. I didn't know the term gaslighting at the time, but that is how I would describe it. And one example is that Mike would use some put downs. Um, One example was calling me a psycho bitch in certain situations, which I think speaks to and contributes to me feeling crazy and like I was overreacting or being dramatic.
1: So rather than push back on that, you went and processed it and maybe even started to allow the fact that he could be right about that. Would that be fair?
0: Yeah, I think I kind of started to either believe it or just kind of tolerate it.
1: Yeah, gaslighting is a whole different area there. And the first I heard of it was in a conversation, I don't know how many years ago, but I, I was. I didn't have any idea what it meant. Gaslighting is all about getting someone to, to get them emotionally off balance and to make them think, like you said, that they're crazy or they're incapable. It's to lower their self-esteem. It's to get them, it's just another form of power and manipulation. In this case, if you get to the point where you think that your own life is rocky, then even if this person is not very nice to you, you feel like, well, at least I've got this person who seems to be in control because I know I'm not. I mean, that's part of it. It's the other side of it's one thing for that person to feel power and control. It's another thing for that person to show you to yourself that you have no power and you're out of control. Would that be your way of sending it up to that? come close?
0: Yes. Yeah. And I I really want to thank you for taking the time to explain and define what gaslighting means because it's not a term to be thrown around lightly. Yes. And I've heard actually recently through even the show, The Bachelorette, the term gaslighting was being thrown around and people didn't really know what the term meant. So I'm really glad you could explain that.
1: Oh, okay. I could see how that would kind of become the you know, the light version of what it really is about, because it's a really horrible thing to do to another person. And, you know, once you understand what gaslighting is about, you could see that in, in, in the business world, where some boss is with some employee, doesn't make a difference, male or female, and just finds ways to chip away at that person's ability to, to perform a job, just to, again, to maintain control. Every day, those experiencing domestic or intimate partner abuse are now documenting their experiences. But the law is very specific, and what is relevant to the survivor is not the same as what the courts allow as evidence. Victim's Voice, which is all one word with no punctuation, Victim's Voice helps capture the details of each incident. In a way that meets the very specific and confusing requirements, because legally admissible documentation really doesn't matter until it does. Victim's Voice, giving victims a legal voice. If you cannot afford a license, Victim's Voice partners can provide one for you at no cost. Find partner members and more information on the web at victimsvoice.app. And you can also find them on social using. At victim's voice app. When Dating Hurts urges anyone who is currently in an abusive relationship to get the victim's voice app. Thank you. Now, I have to ask you, this is going along. How, at what point would you say we are, are you dating this guy a matter of months? Is this years? What is this at this point?
0: So what's interesting about this relationship with Mike is that When I entered this relationship, I knew I didn't want it to be a long term relationship. Okay. We knew that we would be in a long distance relationship. At that time in my life in college, I wasn't ready to be dating someone at a college very far away. So we entered into this relationship in the summer, and this relationship maybe lasted, Bill, maybe two months. It was extremely short lived, which was hard for me to understand why this person was for lack of a better term so obsessed with me and and had stalking like tendencies.
1: So you were in the Philadelphia area obviously with St. Joe's University. Where was he located in the country?
0: I'll back up and say that we were both from Virginia, so we matched on Tinder in Virginia. I was going to school in Philadelphia. And he was actually going to school in Mississippi. Okay. So very large distance.
1: So he had quite an impact over two months at a distance on you.
0: This was actually the beginning. We were together those two months. And then while we did go our separate ways as far as schools, the stalking-like behaviors continued despite being so, so far away.
1: So... What are these stalking behaviors? You know, when I think of stalking, I think of you're walking down the street and he's a block behind you, but you're talking about like uh, electronically stalking you or?
0: Yes. When I think about stalking, I think a lot about social media and technology.
1: So he keeps popping up, showing up?
0: He would keep popping up and showing up no matter how many times I would block him on different things.
1: So, Gabby, when you got to that point where you were certain you—you know, you didn't think this was going to be a long-term relationship, and it needs to draw to a close—how did that go over with him? I mean, did he just shake hands, so to speak, and say, "You know, have a nice life," and I'm sorry it didn't work out, or did he uh, did he struggle to stay in your life in some way?
0: Well, there were there were so many times. I tried to break up with him and I know that you are very, very familiar with this concept of one last time I'll meet up with them one last time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That can get very dangerous. I consider myself so lucky that the one last time, the plural that I'm okay from that. Um, But I'll share with you. Very fortunate. Yeah. I'll share a couple examples uh, of times where I tried to break up with him and when he finally accepted it and um, this kind of behaviors afterwards.
1: Sure, please.
0: So I mentioned that Mike would not take no for an answer as far as breaking up. When I did try to break up with him, he would always say, well, let's meet up and talk about it one more time. Let's meet up and talk one more time. So there was a time, one winter break, where he wanted to meet up. I had plans to go to church. And I said, the only way I'll meet up with you is if you meet me at church. It was a public place. I thought that was an okay, safe opportunity to see him one last time. Mm-hmm. And Bill, you will not believe it. The sermon was about forgiveness. Uh. <laughs> and oh, yeah, which is such a such a punch in the gut. Um Oh, as someone man. who, I know, as someone who faith is really important to me, I feel like Mike took that sermon on forgiveness and said, you have to forgive me now. This is a great, this is a great sign that we are meant to be together. We have to stay together.
1: That's, do you, do you think he, uh, do you think he paid the priest to, I know. to give that homily?
0: I know. So faith is something that's very important to me. I'm studying uh, ministry and theology and looking for ways to combine that with sexual violence, education, prevention. I think when talking about faith and forgiveness, we have to be very careful about the messages that can send to survivors of abuse and those who are experiencing abuse. Wow,
1: that's a great insight. Great insight. Wow, good for you.
0: Another example I'd like to share about technology abuse, the final time in which I was ready to break up with Mike, we ended things, I blocked him on my phone phone number, I blocked him on social media, and I felt really good about that. I felt yeah. empowered and mm-hmm. in control, and one night, I was leaving my friend's dorm And I looked down at my phone and it said my friend Kelly was calling me. And when I went to answer the phone, it was not Kelly's voice on the other end. It was Mike's voice. Whoa. So Mike was very skilled at using technology. And I don't know how in the world he did this to make it look like it was Kelly calling. And on your phone, it it says Kelly.
1: Right. Right. That's crazy. It was,
0: yes. It said Kelly. I mean, wow. That was the one of the most terrifying things I have ever experienced in my oh, life.
1: I imagine so. Mm.
0: And that that experience really made me question, you know, what is this person capable of?
1: Yes. Yeah. If he can if he can pull that off, you're afraid to open the next door.
0: And finally, Bill, as far as stalking tendencies post-breakup, I blocked this person on every form of social media but i had not thought of blocking him on email i didn't know you could block someone on email after our breakup after blocking him on everything i got an email essay really it was truly an essay about how much he hated me and what a slut i was
1: oh my god
0: it was horrible getting that email and again i didn't i didn't know how to even block someone on email i mean this person found so many ways to to contact me. And I'll even mention he did send a letter in the mail post-breakup to my parents' house, to which they threw away. They talked about getting a restraining order, and we never did. Sometimes I wish we did, but I'm okay right now, which is a great thing.
1: It's the most important thing. So he's doing these different kinds of things, and at some point he just stops, I guess. Maybe he just gets worn out because He's not getting a response. I mean, that's all we could guess, right?
0: Yeah, it it finally did end. I stopped hearing from him. I will tell you, Bill, that one of my greatest fears being home from college in Virginia was that I would run into him. That was yeah. always a fear of mine. And I brought this up to my psychiatrist. I said, you know, what if I run into him? What am I gonna do? I wanna have a plan in place. My fears actually did come true. The year after I graduated college, I was doing an internship in D.C., ironically, at the the National Sexual Assault Hotline. I ran into Mike at one of the worst places you could run into an abusive ex. I ran into him at the metro station in D.C., oh. Oh. which is, is a very dangerous place, right, to run into yeah, someone.
1: Sure it is, especially somebody and, like this.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll walk you through what I did there to to get through that situation. One thing I'd like to mention is that I feel very close to your daughter on a very spiritual level. And I I prayed to Kristen in good times and in bad. And this is a moment where I really prayed to Kristen immediately. I immediately got up. I Mm -hmm. was praying to Kristen. I knew that I had to get to a safe place. I called a woman named Raquel Bergen, who is really the unsung hero of St. Joseph's University. She is the advisor to the Rape Education Prevention Program there. She's a sociology professor there, and she's really like a second mom to me. She oh. is someone I have on speed dial and just such an important part of my life.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, she's fabulous.
0: Yes. So so I called her. She kind of helped calm me down, made sure I was in a safe place. And I know for a fact that he saw me. We locked eyes. I think he had a smirk on his face, which he he usually did. I knew not to take the same train as him. I got to a safe place. I never saw him again. And one of the biggest reliefs for me, honestly, is when my family left Virginia. They moved away to Pennsylvania. And I feel, I feel safe now. It's been years and we're still states away. And so I feel safe now.
1: That's a great outcome, but yeah, that's a scene in a movie. You know, when you, you're at the Metro station and like you say, all the hustle and bustle, makes that very easy for that guy to steer himself around. And even if he came over to you and got into some kind of an argument, people see that probably quite often, you know, that's not unusual to see somebody's not getting along with somebody. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but so he could have really, he could have really made that moment something you would, well, you'll never forget anyway, but could really have made it quite challenging to put it in its smallest possible way. I understand that you've taken your unhealthy dating experience from what you've been telling me and, and you've used it as kind of a teaching tool. I mean, you really, rather than put it behind you and your memories and try to go do something else that has nothing to do with any of this. And you've kind of taken this horrible thing and manipulated it yourself into something that's become a bit of a superpower for you. Can you tell us about that?
0: So I have created my own presentation about my own experience with sexual and domestic violence on dating apps. And I've called it Take Back the Swipe, which is, a play on the words of take back the night and yes. I'll I'll talk a little bit about take back the night it is a foundation as well as an event that has been around for a very long time and it can take the form of looking like a, a speak out for Survivors of sexual violence at colleges and universities, and not limited to colleges and universities, I felt like Take Back the Swipe would be a nice title for my presentation as a way to shatter the silence and the stigma of silence that is existing with sexual violence on dating apps, and as a way for survivors to reclaim dating apps as well. You know, I mentioned that this violence on dating apps is under researched underreported, and something that I really was interested in that I couldn't find in my research was hearing from survivors themselves. Luckily, during my time at Rain, I was able to connect with some survivors from dating apps, and I am breaking the silence on this issue and facilitating conversations at Villanova and St. Joe's and really taking this upon myself to make a change.
1: Great. You're doing quite a public service. When you think of the most popular dating apps nowadays, you mentioned Tinder earlier, but what are some of the other ones so that if someone's using them or if someone has a friend that's using them, they can at least know exactly precisely what you're talking about?
0: Yes. So I would say that Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge are the really popular ones uh, around my age group, I would say, in the 20s and 30s. I will also say that People are on dating apps at all ages. Honestly, it's not limited to college students. As younger people are are getting social media at younger ages, I, I would not be surprised if there's younger people on dating apps. And we know that that older people are also using dating apps as well. And you know that sexual violence, domestic violence does not discriminate at any age, gender, race, religion. It can happen to anyone at any time.
1: You're absolutely right. By the way, you mentioned that you are also working with or alongside Rain. Do you want to tell us about them? Because I know who they are, but I wanted you to tell us. It's R-A-I-N-N, right? Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. So When I graduated college from St. Joe's, I felt very lost and didn't know what to do with my life, but I wanted to gain more experience in this field. So I did an internship with the National Sexual Assault Hotline, RAIN, which is also known as the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. And I did a communications internship with them. I really appreciated my time there because I was able to create my own semester project based on my own interests about dating app violence.
1: Good. Kind of
0: came up with a campaign idea for, for Valentine's Day and had access to the Speakers Bureau there. So it was a really nice experience.
1: Good. Now you say you get speaking engagements from time to time or you look for them?
0: I'm mainly doing speaking engagements at my graduate school Villanova for okay. for undergrads and grads and even at my alma mater uh St. Joe's and I'm looking to do more. I'm really I feel like the dating app content is life-saving content that I would love for more and more people to learn about because it's not going away.
1: Oh, that's great. So I have one final question for you, Gabby. If you could put anything on a billboard, a nice, great, big billboard where a lot of people are driving by and maybe sitting at a light and can read it, look at it and think about it, and it's a billboard that's about domestic violence, what do you think should be on that billboard?
0: I would say that domestic violence is everyone's problem and that it's on all of us to educate ourselves and do something about it. I think too often people feel like they've never been impacted by domestic violence or they never will be, or that they don't know anyone who has. So why should they care about it? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking even in my events at Villanova, this week and next week, I have events for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I've been going out of my way to promote these events and get people to come. But some people feel like, well, why should I care? I have no connection to this. As you know, Bill, and I know, so well that domestic violence doesn't just impact two people, right? It impacts families tremendously. It impacts friends, schools, communities. In my own life, it has tremendously impacted my future relationships, Mm -hmm. how I interact with future partners, my ability to trust them and open up. And I've learned that we are all in relationships not just romantic relationships. We're in friendships, family relationships, and none of these relationships are perfect, right? And we might all have slight unhealthy qualities in which we can learn and grow. And this isn't a problem that happens to just a select few. I really invite everyone listening to reflect on your own relationships and reflect on the small ways that you can make a change. I really believe that starting these small conversations about healthy and unhealthy relationships is the first step in combating this problem. And it looks like educating yourself on warning signs and even what healthy relationships look like. I'd just like to add, you know, in closing, a sign of hope that I'm currently in the healthiest, happiest relationship I've ever been in with someone I met online uh so there is hope after abuse
1: wow you said a lot that's there's a lot in there a lot of good things and and starting with domestic violence is everyone's problem i'm glad you wanted that to be the billboard because i would have driven past that years ago 15 16 years ago i would have driven past it and i would have thought that has nothing to do with me you know that'll never show up in my life in any possible way that happens in a whole different part of town That's why it's so hard sometimes to get speaking events for people like you. And even me, you know, I'll talk with people and they kind of look around like they aren't really happening in my life. And well, the truth of is they are. You just don't know about it or they're happening and you haven't really deciphered what you've probably seen and heard. But I I love all the things you're doing and, and I knew some of it but I didn't know all of it. Now I do. And and I'm so glad people can also now reach out to you and, and they can learn from what turned out to be mistakes you made, which you didn't know were mistakes. Those are insights that can improve all kinds of lives out there. And so Gabby, I just want to thank you for speaking with us about this relationship that brought you a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and not only in the two months, but even then after that, these different echoes from this guy who just wouldn't let it go. And that just shows, again, the power and control that, that even when it seems to be shut off, it doesn't necessarily shut off that easily. It just keeps happening and, and certainly taught you quite a lot. And the truth is for people who are survivors, people who are courageous like you, who share their stories, are doing all of us such a great public service because you're shining a light on this dating and domestic violence that's going on and and you're helping us all to better understand what it feels like and what it looks like, all of that will then make it easier to recognize and helps us and our friends and family members to avoid the worst consequences. For that, I just have to thank you so much. It's really great that you packaged it all together for us. and, And you're just, you've done so much, but in some ways, I feel like you're just blasting off You know, you have so much that you can do and you are going to do.
0: Thank you, Bill. I I really do want to take the time to thank you for the work that you're doing. And I just want to say, I think you're giving people a really special gift as well to be able to share their stories. I feel like not everyone gets a chance to share their stories and we all have stories to tell. So thank you.
1: I appreciate that very much. And thank you too. And I especially like the parts about the dating apps because... I think a lot of people throw themselves into that thinking there's this wonderful world out there and they're going to meet these great people and they probably will meet some great people. But unfortunately, mixed in with great people can be people who are predators. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference because predators can be very charming in the very beginning. So thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Bill. Thank you.
1: The When Dating Hurts podcast is growing steadily. We launched in January and now we're approaching 3000 plays. Why is that? Analytics tell us it has to do with relevant content that listeners really want to hear. And in our case, we're talking about your daughters and sons. What could be more important or interesting? Let me thank you for listening in and for asking friends and family to listen to. Our latest episodes allow you to take a poll if you download on The Anchor Player. If you want to reach us, head to whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.